Chapter Ten of The New Adventures of Alice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. The New Adventures of Alice by John Ray. Chapter Ten. Iceberg. The speed at which they went tearing along was at first so great. Alice could make out nothing but a blur of dazzling light. The handcar soon slowed down, however, and she saw that they were approaching a neat little station at the end of a long dock, which ran out into the ocean. The waves were running very high, although the sun was shining brightly, and the tiny station, which was built entirely of ice blocks, was dripping with sparkling spray from the breakers. The name of the station, Iceberg, was lettered on a board which hung from the icicle-fringed eaves. Alice felt much relieved when the handcar came to a gentle stop at the station platform, for she had noticed that the track just beyond simply ran off the end of the dock and down into the water. She lighted hastily, and then remembering the candlestick-maker, whom she had entirely forgotten in the excitement of the last few minutes, she turned to help him off. He had vanished, leaving only his curious hat behind. Alice now saw that the hat was, in fact, simply an average-sized brass candlestick of this sort, saying to herself, I'll just keep this as a memento. She picked it up and was just starting for the door of the station when a bell jangled loudly and a voice cried, All aboard! And the handcar, starting with a jerk, ran down the few remaining yards of track into the sea and disappeared. Well, of all the strange railroads, Alice began, but just then she caught sight of a very white face with large coal-black eyes, a pointed red nose, and a scrubby stiff goatee. It was staring at her from a small window in the station. For a moment, Alice was really frightened at this strange apparition, but it suddenly occurred to her that of course this was only a snowman, and that carroty red nose was a carrot, the black lumps of coal, and the goatee a worn-out paintbrush. And he really has a very kindly expression in spite of his unusual features, thought the little girl. It somehow did not surprise her much now to hear him ask pleasantly, any baggage miss his paintbrush goatee wagging stiffly as he spoke uh, nothing but this answered alice holding up the candlestick and noting as she did so that the candle was again burning the sight of the candle apparently made the snowman quite nervous for he said rather shakily you might just blow that out miss if you don't mind i can't abide a flame of any sort not since my brother almost died of a bonfire alice blew out the candle and the snowman, who seemed greatly relieved, continued politely, "'Just leave your bundle in the baggage-room if you like.' He pointed with a very short, fat arm to a large, clumsily-wrapped package, which Alice had certainly not seen before, standing just beside her on the platform. She was about to tell the station agent, for that was what the snowman evidently was, that it did not belong to her. When she noticed, tied to the bundle, a large tag upon which was printed in bold letters, yours but said alice to herself but half aloud really hoping that the interesting package might prove to belong to her how do i know that the tag doesn't mean that it belongs to the snowman the snowman heard her question why miss he said slowly like a good-natured teacher patiently explaining something to a stupid child you see if it were mine it would be marked mine but as it isn't marked mine why then of course it isn't mine 
but if on the other hand it were yours miss then it would be marked yours and as it is marked yours why then of course it is yours and not mine or to put it another way he went on triumphantly after taking a breath if it were not yours here he stopped for alice was no longer listening but was already unwrapping the bundle for like most of us she was always easily convinced of what she wanted to believe first came several layers of newspapers most of them the gloucester gazette and the norwich news then straw tied round and round with a heavy cord like the winter covering for a rose-bush next came a ragged old quilt decorated with a design of cabbage-like scarlet flowers as the air was now very chilly in spite of the bright sunshine alice stopped to drape this quilt about her shoulders like a sort of cape she then removed the remaining wrappings from the bundle consisting of a fishnet and several more newspapers those being mostly bunbury bugles well of all preposterous things exclaimed alice as she finally pulled off the last of the papers for after all her trouble in undoing the great package its contents proved to be only a rickety old bottomless bird-cage upon the little padlocked door of which hung a card bearing the words gone for the day the snowman his head and shoulders craned as far as possible out of the station window had been watching with great interest the unwrapping of the mysterious bundle and he now exclaimed with a chuckle which nearly dislodged his paint-brush goatee very interesting luggage miss and also very instructive however he added more seriously you might just hang it on that hook by the door there alice was about to throw the battered cage into the sea you never can tell when that sort of thing will come in handy miss you might be able to use that card on it some day when you go off for a vacation suggested alice smiling in spite of her disappointment at the idea of a bottomless bird-cage like this one ever coming in handy oh i'm afraid i'll never be going on a vacation miss said the snowman sadly you see whoever it was made me he didn't give me any legs to speak of though i don't complain as very few snowmen has em and furthermore miss it saves me lots of steps i'm what you might call he went on more brightly a stationary station agent <laughs> or perhaps at this juncture alice heard a sound of joyful squeaking and shrill cheering at the end of the dock and turning saw that the hand-car had emerged from the water and was coming back toward the station it was swarming with the sailor rats who were waving their dripping caps and generally behaving like a crowd of schoolboys off for a vacation the car did not stop at the station but kept on at steadily increasing speed and the shrill cries soon died away in the distance those must be the sailors from the somersault sally exclaimed alice remembering the dissolving magic lantern view she had seen in the tunnel and the others must be close behind i'm sure rats are always the first to leave a sinking ship <laughs> at least so the poet says it's just as well those sailors didn't stop off here said the snowman decidedly always a rough noisy lot miss and like as not they'd have stolen the station sign and why here are the others cried alice while the snowman was speaking she had spied four familiar heads on the crest of an oncoming wave the wave broke depositing the poet captain Tewee, the cook and the milkman in a neat row at the extreme end of the dock the milkman after looking sadly about in a bewildered way for a moment or two apparently but half awakened by the slight shock of landing settled back against a convenient post closed his melancholy eyes 
and started snoring at once. The others rose unconcernedly to their feet, and shook themselves like three water spaniels, and Alice now heard the cook, who seemed to be continuing an interrupted conversation, remark, "'And what I says is, it's a good riddance to em, if them two lubbers and that old shell back wanted to sail with that now eated softly, Captain Shaft too, why shouldn't they, I says, and worry good too?' "'Right you are, matey,' roared Captain Tee-wee so heartily that several icicles fell jingling from the station eaves. The poet, who had just caught sight of Alice, showed no surprise whatsoever. He merely smiled pleasantly, as if he had naturally expected her to be there, and remarked casually, jerking his thumb at his companions, "'They refer to the butcher, the baker, and turtle, who were taken aboard the meandering myrtle. "'But I don't remember seeing a turtle aboard the somersault Sally,' said Alice. "'Where did he come from?' "'The waves ran so high, you see, our ship turned turtle.' pardon me if i now leave you for a while to give my new disguise a trial thus saying the poet stepped into the little station from the door of which after but a few moments hopped a very large black and white penguin startled by this sudden transformation alice took a step backward and tripping over the trailing end of the bedquilt which she had wrapped about her fell flat the penguin helped her up clumsily remarking as he did so there's no need to feel such a shock of alarm i'm only that poet will do you no harm when alice got to her feet again the snowman captain tewee the cook and the sleeping milkman were gone though she was quite sure she still heard muffled snoring the station itself had disappeared too and she and the ridiculously disguised poet were standing on what seemed at first to be the flat icy roof of a high tower of some sort the end of a ladder it looked just like the railroad track stood up on end, thought Alice, showed above a low parapet which bordered the roof. The snoring soon changed to a sound like that of surf far below them, and peering over the parapet, Alice saw, to her astonishment and dismay, that they were on the very highest pinnacle of a tremendous iceberg. Owing to a heavy fog which surrounded the base of the iceberg, it was impossible to see what the ladder led to. I probably rest on the bottom of the sea, and I'm sure I should never dare to climb down anyway, thought Alice miserably, adding half aloud, Oh dear, I wish I had never come. Then it occurred to her that she had nothing to do with coming. In fact, she had not come at all. This was a very confusing thought. She felt, though, that the poet was somehow or other to blame for their predicament. So, turning to him, she said piteously, whatever shall we do patting her shoulder with one of his ridiculous flipper-like wings the poet answered reassuringly don't fret yourself be calm my dear i'm really rather glad we're here an iceberg's safe if gales don't rise and how it suits my new disguise still if you're feeling timid well you just might try your fire-bell my fire-bell i haven't any fire-bell and you know it said alice crossly for she felt that the poet had chosen a very poor time for teasing her then what's that hanging from a chain about your neck a bell it's plain retorted the poet rather impatiently alice looked and saw that there was a tiny bell about the size of a thimble hanging from a very fine chain about her neck though how it got there she couldn't possibly imagine if that's a fire bell it must be a very young one she said smiling and her satisfaction at having made this amusing conjecture quite restored her usual good humour 
curious to see what sort of a tinkle such a diminutive bell would make alice gently shook the chain instantly a deafening crashing clangor filled the air frightening the poor child nearly out of her senses she hastily dropped the little bell and after one last tremendous echoing peal the ringing stopped the poet who seemed to be shaking under his disguise with suppressed laughter now remarked very gravely well what a voice for one so young i thought at first big ben had rung and after a moment's pause he added the fireman should soon be here to rescue you but look my dear a snowstorm starting really though it looks to me like paper snow and sure enough the air was soon full of little curled up strips of paper such as come inside of snapper mottoes oh cried alice excitedly i do hope they have proverbs on them it will be such fun she picked up several of the paper snowflakes and straightening one out found the following rather disappointing line printed in small red letters the penguin is mightier than the swordfish she handed it to the poet saying doubtfully uh, perhaps this one was meant especially for you then half to herself sounds familiar but that isn't quite the usual wording i'm sure the poet took the slip and after reading it aloud several times very thoughtfully and slowly he said with great complacency a very proper proverb that and how twill irritate old sprat he takes the swordfish part you see your aunt crusader as for me perhaps you know me my dear that i'm the hero in the pantomime Alice recollected that the candlestick-maker had said something about being late to a rehearsal of some sort, and she wondered if it were this pantomime that he had referred to. She was too much interested in the snowflake mottoes, however, to ask about it just then. Unrolling another of the slips, she read aloud, "'Honey makes the hair grow.' "'Of course that's just nonsense,' she said impatiently. "'Though, come to think, I have heard a proverb something like it.' money makes the mare go i believe it was well said her companion judiciously perhaps that other too is true although the wording's tricky for honey in the comb you know would make the hair grow sticky perhaps you can tell what this one means too said alice smiling at the ingenious explanation of the other don't count your chickens before you put all your eggs in one basket after a moment's reflection the poet replied in counting chickens don't you see there's apt to be some slip that is if on arithmetic you've not the firmest grip and if you slip why like as not upon your eggs you fall and if those eggs are in one lot it's plain you'll break them all alice was growing very much interested in this game of explanations it's my turn she now exclaimed and here's one that i can almost understand myself it says it's never too straight to bend and i dare say that means she was interrupted by the sudden appearance of a head and shoulders above the edge of the parapet and the next moment a stocky fellow unmistakably a fireman stepped from the ladder and stood before them panting his shirt was the brightest crimson alice had ever seen and he wore a big tin fire hat the brim of which extended like a wide shovel at the back hanging from his belt was a small pickaxe a brass fire trumpet and a leather bucket about half full of water two of em to save the fireman muttered complainingly when he had recovered his breath two of em 
and me on a holiday. Then, taking the bucket from his belt in a business-like way, he dashed the water over the poet, saying mournfully as he did so, "'And not even enough water for one.' "'I'm glad of that,' thought Alice. "'The poet doesn't seem to much mind being soaked.' The poet, who apparently had hardly noticed the unexpected bath, was saying cheerfully, "'Don't bother about me. I'll flap down to the ground. Help her, old chap.' Then, holding up the bottomless birdcage, he went on, "'My helmet for the pantomime. So glad I thought of it in time.' "'He certainly didn't have that cage a moment ago,' thought Alice confusedly. "'I didn't know that old thing was yours,' she started to say. But the poet, in his awkward penguin disguise, had hopped to the parapet, and now, after a few preliminary flappings of his unwieldy wings, flew heavily away. He left the birdcage behind, and the fireman, picking it up, hurled it after him with a loud shout of, "'Heads below!' Then turning to Alice, who half feared that she was about to be thrown after the cage, he said politely enough, but in a rather bored voice, which plainly showed that he did not enjoy working like this while on a holiday. "'Well, miss, will it be for you, ladder, or life-net?' Now Alice did not like the idea of either method of descent, but she felt at least she was somewhat familiar with ladders, while she had never even seen a life-net." and that ladder she reasoned must lead to somewhere after all for the fireman came up that way so she finally answered rather doubtfully i think i prefer the ladder if you don't mind did you say the ladder or the latter miss inquired the fireman who had been busy readjusting the things on his belt though come to think he added it doesn't really make much difference as there ain't any life net miss he jammed his hat down, gave a last twitch to his belt, and exclaimed, with more animation than Alice had seen him exhibit, "'Well, miss, ladder it is, then.' And the next moment Alice found, to her surprise, that she was enjoying the very agreeable sensation of sliding, at a pleasurable speed, down a smooth, straight banister. In a strangely silent mist all about her, the paper snow was still falling. End of chapter 10 Recording by Greg Giordano, Newport Ritchie, Florida.